three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with some of these people. I just, Put um, down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, Would you rather? Right, trust me. Take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nervous Habits. I have got a great episode in store for all of you where I am joined by travel blogger, author, and TED speaker, Jen Ruiz, a.k.a. Jen on a Jet Plane. And we explore issues including why you should resist the urge to plan every minute of your vacation when you travel, how it's possible to see the world while still working full-time, why traveling by yourself is almost always better than traveling with others, and finally, how you can find plane tickets for $16 and lodging for 9 bucks when traveling around the world. All that and so much more on another edition of Nervous Habits. Hey guys, so today I wanted to talk to all of you guys about travel. I I tackled this topic back in episode 20 on, you know, talking about the virtues of international travel, why it's worth the investment, uh, sort of you know, recapping my trip around France last summer for a couple weeks. And I think that given everything that's happened this, you know, in 2020 with the pandemic, I think you are going to see a an explosion of, um, of travel because people are, you know, let's face it, people have been cooped up and are experiencing cabin fever. They've been, you know, locked in their homes for months never you know for for many of us we've never experienced anything like this in our lifetimes and i do think you know as we return to normalcy in the next couple months and and over the next year you are going to see a an explosion in uh domestic and international travel people are going to want to see um new places you're going to have wanderlust uh at an all-time high and sort of with that as the the backdrop i thought this was a great time to have a conversation with a travel expert about, you know, why traveling is important, uh, you know, the importance of traveling by yourself as opposed to with friends and family, and how to travel on a budget. And my guest today, Jen Ruiz, she is a lawyer turned travel blogger and author uh, who is a number one Amazon bestseller and reader's favorite award winner. Jen is also a TEDx speaker and has been featured by the Washington Post, Huffington Post, and ABC News. Um, she writes about her adventures on her website, Jen on a Jet Plane. And Jen's seen, you know, 35, 40 different countries. So who better to have a conversation about travel and, and the travel landscape in 2020 and how it's, you know, going to evolve and change moving forward. So without further ado, my conversation with Jen. Jen, welcome to Nervous Habits. Thank you for having me, Ricky. It's my pleasure. I, I think the first question to ask is, you know, how are you, how are you holding up? How have you been managing the last couple of months during the pandemic? Um, it's been interesting. <laughs> I think that I yeah. generally try to adapt a mindset of uh, going with the flow and trying to make the best out of any situation. So immediately when I saw that my upcoming uh, speaking arrangements and kind of sponsored trips were all going to be canceled, I started to pivot and kind of devote myself to launching my latest book and and working on some projects behind the scenes. So I've been keeping busy. And I think that that's always key to uh, just keeping your mind healthy and occupied and, and just something that helps you cope with something like this. 
I couldn't agree more. I think I think you're you're dead on, and and now is a great time to reflect and find other things that that bring you joy besides you know just distracting yourself with work and and things like that. We're gonna dive into specifics later, but just in general, would you say that now is an okay time to to be traveling or to be planning trips, or is now you know with the COVID pandemic probably not the best time to be thinking about that? I think there's always benefits to thinking about travel, to planning travel. I think if you wanted to do a big trip, especially now that you've kind of had these couple of months to sit at home and save money that you would have spent otherwise, this could be a great time to start planning a big bucket list trip, you know, a year, a year and a half out uh, and start working on you know, arranging that, start finding out where you want to go, where what you would need to get there, if there's any permits you need to acquire, things like that. Uh, and I think that would be also a great way to still keep travel alive right now, even given the uncertainty of whether or not countries will open up and if bookings will be able to resume. Yeah, I think that that's that's a great a great mindset to have, and you know, encouraging people to to think about the future, but maybe not jump on a plane right now. Um, so before we. I uh, went on the airwaves, Jen. I shared with listeners a little bit about your background, you know, um, how you practice law, and then uh, got started with with your blog and Jen on a jet plane, and you know your your speaking um, opportunities. But I guess you know the first question is people are probably curious. Take us back to the beginning. You know what what sparked your interest in travel at first? So at first, I guess it would have to be my first big trip abroad was right after I graduated high school. I went with my mom for two weeks to Europe, and I learned then that I actually really enjoyed planning my trip versus taking an organized tour because my mom had never been to Europe. This was our first big trip abroad. Uh, so we ended up taking a tour, and we paid for, I think, a Trafalgar tour back then through AAA uh, booking services, which uh, just goes to show you kind of the, the time, you know? Um, and I ended up, we, we took so many excursions that I planned myself on that trip. You know, we were in London and I decided that I could get us to Stonehenge on a train. I had a Europe for Dummies book and I was like, this is actually pretty simple. It says we just got to take the train and it leaves us right there. Um, so I learned right then and there that I actually really enjoyed planning and organizing and doing my own trips on my own time. Then when I was, um, in law school, I went to Australia for six weeks as part of a exchange program at with uh, just coursework to it as well, but just working abroad at an internship there and in Sydney. And that was amazing. I thought that I would be going with other people, other students, other professors, and I ended up just kind of being on my own, um, which was... Huh. Very interesting. I It just was something to get used to. I had never been 12 hours away from everybody I knew, you know, time zone wise. So every time I wanted to talk to somebody, they were asleep in the middle of the night. Um, and I had to learn how to be self-sufficient in a foreign location. And I actually, for the first three weeks, it was tough. Um, they didn't have, you know, the food didn't taste the same. It was difficult getting around. People would kind of look at me differently when I spoke with an American accent. So it, the first three weeks I feel were the growing pains. And then by the end of that, the last three weeks that after that initial homesickness hump, um, it was amazing. And I loved it. And I didn't want to leave. I had made friends, you know, I was traveling all over the country. Uh, and I was just really enjoying myself and finding that the world had so much more to offer beyond these kind of guided handheld experiences. So when I was 20, turning 29, I decided to embark on a 12 trips in 12 months challenge before my 30th birthday. 
And that's mm. where Jet on a Jet Plane started. That's so interesting. So you're actually striking on on a, a couple of great insights here. One of the things you said a moment ago, which which struck me as as fascinating, was you talked about how um how enjoyable the planning process was for you of actually going about you know making an itinerary and and I'm sure you had like a map and and all that stuff. I think a lot of people listening, you know, they they fall in one of two camps. They're either folks who are planners who are like you, you know, very. very Type A, I mean, I would consider myself similar and, you know, have to plan every moment of your trip. And then you have people who either go on a guided tour that someone else plans or they just show up in a city and just, you know, wander around. Do you find that, you know, one of the generally, you know, in speaking with your clients and, and readers and folks that follow you, one of those two camps is is better or does it just, you know, depend on what people are more comfortable with? Oh, I don't think there's any one right way to travel. The same way that I don't think there's any, you know, one right place to go like you can't you, you should avoid tourist traps or things like that that people say I feel like what you want to see and what you want to travel is a very personal experience and how you want to do it there's no wrong way to the important thing is that you're stepping outside of your comfort zone and trying something new um, so I would never criticize anybody for any way that they chose to go about that I will say that the distinguisher for me was that when I was getting started as a solo female traveler I took a lot of comfort in knowing that I had these things planned to the minute because mm. I I would research, you know, train routes ahead of time. So I would think to myself, well, I'm not going to be stuck waiting for a train in, in a foreign city for a half hour with who knows, you know, what people approaching me in that time, because I already know the train's going to be there at exactly 748. So, you know, um, yeah. that may seem excessive to some, but for me, that was part of my safety measures that I took was knowing where I was going, walking with purpose, not being lost. You know, I would go and I would look at the neighborhood that I'd be staying at through Google Street View before I went. So I'd already know, you know, there's a cafe on the corner. Here's how far it is. Here's where you have to walk when you get off of the train station. And that when I was starting off was really wonderful and it helped also fill in the time in between the trips and keep me entertained with travel all throughout. As I evolved as a traveler, I started to plan less and less. You know, maybe my first trip, I had 50 different printouts, all the different sheets, every possible language you could want my hotel directions in. They're printed and ready to show to the taxi driver, you know? So, and after that, I mean, I just maybe had my basic notes on my phone or things like that. And so I, I have evolved as a traveler as well. And there are places where I feel more comfortable I feel generally more comfortable in Europe, in places where I speak the language, South America, things like that, um, than maybe somewhere completely new I haven't been before. So it depends, I think, on the location, if I've been somewhere around there, and if I feel confident in my ability to travel as a solo female there. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, think, I think that's interesting what you said about how when you first start out, you know, you tend to be, you know, when you're more of a novice, you tend to be more of a planner needing to have a sense of direction. So you're not wandering around purposelessly. Then as you find your footing as an experienced traveler, you can, you know, sort of take, be more spontaneous and plan a little less. I think I'm a lot like you, Jen, you know, I, before law school, um, before I started law school, I did a, a Europe trip as well. And, you know, in the beginning when I was in France, I, I had every, you know, every day to the minute planned out, I'm going to be, you know, from 12 to one, I'll be at this museum from one to two, I'll be in this neighborhood. And what I found is there is something, you know, that gets lost. I think when it's, it's so structured, you really don't have that freedom to, you know, you smell something, you know, there's a, an odor in the air and you want to, you know, go into a cafe or you see someone interesting and you want to like, you, do you know what I mean? And, and I think there is something to be said for being flexible and for, you know, scheduling time to not do anything. Absolutely. That's what I would do in the beginning. So I would actually schedule a block of 
time. Like these are your two hours of free wonder time to go around the square and see yeah. what stores <laughs> attract you and things like that. Um, now it's more like I will have that scheduled. I'll have something already due on that particular day. And then I'll think to myself, okay, this day I'm going to take off and just kind of see what it is I want to do. If there was something already in the city I saw that I want to go back to. Um, and I'm more open to planning on the cuff when I am somewhere now. Uh, but again, that's come with a lot of time, a lot of travel. And it, it's tough, I think, for novice travelers, especially someone who is already taking themselves out of their element by traveling internationally or going somewhere where they don't speak the language or they don't look like the people there. Um, it can be difficult. So I, I applaud anybody who takes that step. And I think, you know, whatever crutches that you need to get you there are a hundred percent valid and legitimate and you do whatever you need to do. Yeah. And, and when we, you know, when we talk about things, specific things, Jen, like elements, like looking, you know, where to eat later on in the podcast, I think that that will come into, uh, you know, come into play because when you look at something like Yelp, for example, a lot of people, when they're deciding in a foreign country where they're going to eat their you know, eat their lunch or eat their dinner, we'll look on Google or Yelp and see, you know, this one has five stars, this one has a ton of positive reviews. But sometimes it's it's more advantageous, right, to just walk down the street and see where people are gathered or see, you know, what what looks visually appearing, uh, appealing rather than just relying on planning and, and relying on, you know, checking a, a search engine. 1000%. I, I always try to go to the places that look crowded, that look like they have locals that, you know, people recommend to me along the way. I'll speak to, you know, staff at hotels or whatever the case may be, or, or tour guides that I meet. Um, I would say the one caveat on that is to make sure that you don't miss things that are time sensitive or on a specific day. Like if there's a specific farmer's market that's only on a you know Saturday morning that you want to make sure you go, that's the benefit to researching ahead of time so that you know and can plan to not miss something like that. For sure. For sure. That's helpful. So, so you do the research to make sure you have all the information, but ultimately it's sort of like a game time decision with what you want to do. A hundred percent. So I, my process would be, I would first gather all of the main things that I would want to do in an area. And I would double check anything that is time sensitive, you know, any seasonal hours, the Parthenon in Athens closes earlier in the winter than it does in the summer. Uh, so things like that. So you already know what it is you want to see when it is that they're open and the best time to go is. And then from there, you kind of just plug and play like a puzzle into your itinerary, depending on how you feel. Got you, got you, got you, got you. So I know you mentioned a few minutes ago that um, before becoming, you know, Jen on a jet plane, you practiced law. You talked about going to Sydney for six weeks. And, um, you know, my first question is how you managed to take those 12 trips in 12 months, as you as you talked about, while you were employed full time as an attorney. <laughs> That's everyone's question. Yeah. <laughs> It was challenging. I think I credit a lot of it to not really having much of a personal life. And so in that sense, it was a blessing in disguise. Like I didn't have children or a husband at home that I had to split my time with. Um, so every time I, every, every hour that I had outside of the job was my own. I didn't have, you know, pets, not even, I, in my TEDx talk, I mentioned not even a goldfish. So I really <laughs> had no attachments. And I think for some people that can be seen as a negative. And it, it was for me initially for many years, I was, I kept trying to fill that gap. And then I realized that this was the one and only upside to having that, right? Was this complete freedom, this 
ability to go when you want for as long as you want, knowing that your house will be in the exact same condition when you return, you know, uh, knowing that you don't have to budget for anybody else or run your decisions through anybody else. So I really embraced that. And I thought to myself, if this is, you know, one of the last times in my life where I have this kind of complete freedom, I bet older Jen, you know, an older version of me would be very disappointed if I squandered this. So <laughs> for, for sure. And it's, <laughs> It's, 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 you know, it's interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with like geo arbitrage, but you know, the notion of like, rather than, you know, uh, rent or lease an apartment and, and, you know, go to work for 40 hours a week, you could just put in the same amount of time and work remotely, right? Tim Ferriss obviously talks about this a lot and you can, you know, you can travel while working. I guess an attorney might be more difficult if you have to appear in court or if there's, you know, uh, interpersonal things that you can't move remotely. But I wonder if, if that factored into it as well. It has for me now, definitely in the lifestyle that I am living now. I am a full-time digital entrepreneur, and so I've embraced that. And I love the freedom of being able to travel and work from wherever. Uh, you know, this podcast with you now is, is part of my daily schedule that I set for myself and that I decide how it looks like. So for me, that's wonderful, and it's one of the benefits of working for yourself. And I think that lawyers can do that, people who open up their own firms. There's lots of attorneys that I've seen make the transition, uh, you know, the, the people People who opened up LegalZoom were attorneys and they decided to just provide basic kind of hand-holding guidance for things that can be done pro se um, for the most part, uh, wills, estates, you know, power of attorneys, things like that. And th they scaled that business and they made a giant website that really feeds the need that people have for something like that. And I know a lot of attorneys begrudge the site or think that it's taking away jobs from them. But I think maybe the other way yep. to look at it is how can you how can you compete? How can you make your services just as enticing? You know, I've seen a lawyer, I recently joined TikTok during quarantine, um, which has been great <laughs> for my business. Surprisingly, it has great exposure. It's now my biggest social media channel and it's driven a lot of traffic to my website. So from a marketing perspective, it's, it's wonderful. I'm reaching like a quarter uh, of a million to three quarters of a million people a week. Um, so that's crazy. It's incredible. It, it really is. And I've seen a lawyer on there, uh, Lawyer Kelly, and she's a divorce attorney. And she's just on there doing 15 second videos that catch people's attention. You know, did you know you could keep the ring or not? You know, this is a sign that you are in an abusive relationship. These are things you should never do in a divorce proceeding. Like 15 second videos, and they're giving her so much traffic, so much business, so much authority, so much expertise. In the matter so there really is a way to modify and compete and i always think of um it's it's a story who moved my cheese it's a book and it's also available on youtube for anyone averse to reading um, yeah <laughs> and it, it's just I, I feel like attorneys and people in these older professions are very much the hem and haws of the world and they sit there just hoping that things never change and that the status quo remains the same and and that's not the way life works, life will always change. So the best thing you can do is make yourself valuable. You know, Jamie Lieberman has a firm called Hashtag Legal, and she started offering all of her services to bloggers and influencers. They have issues with copyrights and contracts and licensing photos and things like that. And she provides all of that. And so yeah. it's not, you know, you really can adapt and you can make your model on you know, viable online. And I think over the next few years, we're going to really see that as companies make a major shift to remote work generally.
For sure, for sure. I, I think that's particularly well said. Um, and that book, Who Moved My Cheese, as someone who spends a lot of time in the self-help section of the library, that's uh, that sniff and scurry. I remember reading that uh, a long time ago, but but definitely a very, very basic uh, vignette, a very simple parable, but um, the message the message is, uh, you know, goes a long way. And selfishly, Jen, I want to ask you, as someone who's about to embark on a career in law, what prompted you to give up your, you know, full-time career as, as a lawyer, obviously a very lucrative opportunity, meaningful, able to effectuate a lot of change, to give that up to instead pursue your love for travel and travel blogging and start your own business. What was your thought process there? It wasn't an easy decision, and I had been practicing for some time. I really had gotten to a point where my last job that I was at, I loved it. I was with a really great set of coworkers, people that I really felt I saw that saw eye to eye with me and that we shared a similar motivation of wanting to impact change, uh, infectuate change and, and help people. I was at a nonprofit uh, and I also had 10 year public service loan forgiveness. So that was also tough to walk away from. Um, but oh, yeah. I just at the end of the day, I wasn't happy and I found myself more looking forward to all the trips that I was taking than to going to work. And I resented every time that I had to get on the phone and fight with an attorney over something meaningless. As a nonprofit mm. attorney, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of people stepping on, you know, the little guy. I saw cases that went on for more than a year when I would try to resolve them the minute the lawsuit was filed just so an attorney could file a year's worth of attorney's fees, you know, that I couldn't contest until after the person lost their home. So it's it was a lot of that. And so many times that I, I helped the people that I could, and I'm happy that I did, but there were just so many times where our hands were tied. And that you had to just tell somebody, you know, it's either you pay these 17000 that they're claiming that they've spent in attorney's fees, even though they haven't answered my phone call in a year, or mm. you lose the home that you've paid into for the last couple of years, you know, there's nothing to do. And I've, I've had so many of those experiences that left me disheartened with the law. I'm happy I could be there. I'm happy I could make the change. But I feel like law, medicine, a lot of our bigger fields depend a lot on, on, on money. And they're driven by money more than the people behind them. Um, and for me, it's all about the people. And so that's why when I transitioned, I wanted to, you know, travel the world and find a cause that really meant something to me and put my legal skills to use to start my own nonprofit. Definitely. And, and it sounds like I have a lot of disillusionment, um, a lot of cynicism ahead in, uh, in my career in law, if I you know, intend to say with that. But I do think there is there is something to what you're saying. And it's something that I've talked about quite a bit on, on Nervous Habits, Jen, this notion of, you know, you're stuck in the rat race, you're living on the cubicle farm, you know, you're working day to day just so you can get to the end of your life, you can get to retirement, and you can do what you actually want to do, whether that be something like travel when you're 70, 80 years old, whether that be, you know, starting your own opening a restaurant, starting a business, living on a farm, you know, being with animals, whatever your, your passion is, whatever lights you up, why wait until the end of your life for that, as opposed to, you know, doing something like you're doing of, of traveling now when, you, when you're, you know, when you're young and when, you know, you have the freedom, like you mentioned, the independence, not having children or, or people to depend on you. So I do think for a lot of people listening, uh, you know, hearing your story, there is a tremendous amount of courage there in going against the grain and not conforming and doing your own thing. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, and I think that my parents are an example of people that have that sense of delayed gratification and, and feeling like if they invest in something now, then they'll be able to really relax and enjoy things later in life. And now yeah. 
so they started a franchise and they've been, you know, working on a business and they, so they're stuck in a franchise contract agreement. And that's what they've, they've been working 14 hour days, just telling themselves, you know, we have this many more years, this many more years, this many more years. And I just, I just think to myself, like, what is the point? What these, and in the meantime, all the other years are terrible. I, like, right. Why? I just, to me, that's, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I think now with, with the Corona and everything that's been happening and, and the business mm-hmm. seeing a downturn and, and them realizing it, you know, I actually, I, this Christmas, I, I bought them a vacation. That was our gift for them. My brother and I pooled our money together and paid for a vacation for them. It was the one and only gift I've ever like regretted actually giving someone. It actually caused my mom so much stress. She was crying. I was like, oh my God, oh, this was a horrible gift idea. Yeah. But after she went kicking and screaming the whole way, you know, I can't take time off. This is ridiculous. It's so stressful. She eventually rescheduled it and went two months later. And then while on the vacation, she was like, this was the best gift ever. I'm so glad we're oh. here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that's actually, that's actually an amazing segue, Jen, into, into the topic of, of traveling in general and, and what the benefits are, because I don't know if your parents are, are boomers, you know, what generation they're from. My dad is, uh, he, he's a boomer. He was born in the late fifties. He doesn't believe in traveling. Whenever I tell him, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to Europe or I'm, I'm going to South America. I'm going to Israel. Uh, he'll just be like, I don't understand. You know, why would you invest all that money in airfare and lodging and food, you know, thousands of dollars when you can just stay home and, you know, spend, you know, R and R or, um, you know, uh, take a day trip, what have you. So, you know, contrasting the perspectives there, Jen, why, you know, why is it important in general for people who haven't traveled before to potentially give that a shot? There's nothing like the feeling of being completely out of your element. And while I do appreciate day trips and local trips, and I do advise that people do that if they're traveling full time, that's part of the way that I was able to make it work. You know, I would take long weekend trips, short trips, things like that. Um, I went to Cuba for 48 hours. It was only a half hour flight from Miami. So that was very easy. Um, yeah. So I, I do think that there's a benefit to doing small trips, local trips, road trips, things like that. But there is something just completely, it shocks your entire body and it makes you feel alive to be dropped in a place that you do not know anybody, you do not know anything, you just have, everything is new. Your body is completely aware. You do not walk around in this kind of automatic mode that maybe you do when you know what to expect and you know what's happening. You know, I can walk down my stairs in the house without any lights on and I know what step is coming next. I know how many steps there's coming. Your body goes into this lull. Whereas when you go somewhere new and you travel, it is a sudden awakening of every cell in your body. I cannot describe the excitement, but it is amazing. It is intoxicating and it makes you just be present in the moment. And I think for so many of us that do worry about the future or do think a lot about our past, you know, being in the moment is the cure. And just to have that time where you're just like, huh, like this is wonderful and I'm really enjoying this and I can't wait to see what's coming next. That is such a light that you can carry with you. And it's just, it's, it's, irreplicable like there's no other way to do it than to do it and that's why i think everybody should take the leap i it's you know it's interesting in in what you're saying and and you know it's 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 really beautifully put uh i'm hearing a lot about 
embracing the uncertainty in that, you know, the day-to-day lives, Jen, that, that we have do become stale. Like you said, knowing what step comes next, knowing, you know, where to go for food, knowing where to go for fun. So a lot of us, you know, might get tired of the, of the mundane attributes of our lives and taking a trip, you know, to your point is an opportunity to, tr- you know, try something new, explore something different, just, just to have that, that novel experience. I have a song that I came up with. It just came out from like pure joy for me when I was in Italy once. I was sitting there eating a margarita pizza and it was a sunny day and I was in the middle of Milan and I just started just singing, I have the best life ever. I have the best life ever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Guys, you can download that on iTunes. Just search Jet jet Plane, I have the best life. Uh, No, I mean, it's it's true. And I think people who have traveled have experienced that. And I also think there's there's elements of language here. I don't know. Can you speak any foreign language? Which is, I, I feel like, you know, you probably speak a few. I speak Spanish. Okay. So are you, are you a native Spanish speaker? Did you learn? I was born in Puerto Rico. Um, so I guess it's technically my first language, but I think, and I speak more comfortably in English, but I, I'm okay with Spanish. I can speak fine with the natives anywhere. So, okay, so I'm not sure then if, if you'll be able to, to relate to this. I mean, you probably will, but uh, when I was in France, so, so I, I'm not a native French speaker, but I learned French in school, took it in high school, college, um, and beyond, you know, Duolingo, Rosetta Stone. And when I was in France, I promised myself I would not speak any English for, you know, the three weeks that I was there. It would only be French. And I started seeing the world differently, just based on the language I was using, instead of having to, you know, go into a restaurant and ask, you know, may I have a menu, please just having that, uh, you know, that that uh, rapport in French and, and thinking in French and interacting in French. It really to your point about like, you know, a different experience when you're abroad, it in this might sound meta, but it became a, a situation where I was actually thinking through what I was saying in another language, as opposed to reflexively just asking for things in English. If, if you can, you know, if you understand what I'm saying there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's the benefit of being immersed somewhere. Um, I'm living in Puerto Rico now. And so every time I go out, that's kind of what I have to do. I just have to think and respond and, and have Spanish be the first instinct language here. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that opportunity to refine and use the skills uh, with Spanish. I think it's really a great gateway language into a lot of other languages. You can easily learn Italian, Portuguese from there um, and, and just really get a- along with people around the world um, because they're two main languages. I think that Spanish and Chinese or English, Spanish and Chinese would be the three most widely spoken languages. Um, so, and Spanish is way easier to learn than Chinese. <laughs> and aside from these languages, I mean, there is something to be said for like immersing yourself in, you know, in the culture and in the language. I mean, there's people, you've probably come across this, but people who will go to Thailand or, you know, go to South Korea, they'll insist on using English and they'll say, you know, I, I you know, everyone speaks English, but why not try to pick up another language? Why not, you know, obviously with Google Translate now with all the technology, why not, you know, live in that day to day? You spend your entire life you know conversing in english 365 days a year why not take a week or two speak a different language be in that culture kind of let your identity uh you know be be coalesced with everyone else's that's also the part of that's part of the fun of being a more experienced traveler so as you start to go off the beaten path you're going to find that people are less accommodating to english and that it's harder to have translations so i've had you know greece is one of those places where once you leave athens it's really difficult to have um just a lot of people that will cater to you in full English. So I've had conversations in full pantomime with a woman, a a grandma before, and that worked out pretty well. 
Um, you know, so there are different ways to get your point across. And I think that's part of the fun too. But I, I do agree that when you're starting out, uh, it, it might be good to go to a place where at least there's some some kind of common ground. And then it really shows that you are a gracious traveler if you at least make the initial effort to communicate in their language. If you pick up mm. a few key terms, um, you know, hello, thank you, uh, you know, please, things like that. And then if, you know, nobody expects you to be able to communicate fully, that, that doesn't have to be the case. I understand that. You don't have to wait until you are a master level, you know, speaker to travel anywhere because then you would never go anywhere. Um, but I think just <laughs> just showing that you're making an effort goes such a long way and then people will meet you in between um but i think that that it really it's the, it's the first step and that if you start off that way if you start off by speaking in the native language you know mahalo niha whatever the case may be um you're just going to have people that are ingratiated towards you much more than if you go in there like an entitled tourist exactly you got to let go of that sense of, of western entitlement and it's also impressive you know you walk into a bar or, you know whatever you're doing for social life a restaurant a cafe and you you start you know speaking uh whatever the language is mandarin cantonese um japanese it's impressive I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I haven't you know traveled on that side of the world, but I would think it's impressive to see an American at least trying to and and you know being able to capably speak that language, right? Absolutely. Um, but for God's sakes, you know, avoid McDonald's, avoid fast food. It's it's a shame. When I was in Paris, that was I, I and I know. Granted, everything's expensive in Paris, and I also know that the McDonald's in Europe is is quite good, but you know, at least tr give, give the other cultures cuisines a shot instead of just sticking to, you know, your comfort foods. Yeah, I would adapt, I would 100% agree with that. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to take a food tour. Um, mm. So usually they're really affordable, you know, $50 or less. They take a few hours and they'll show you around a nice neighborhood and they'll take you to some local highlights already. And you can sample some of the food. You can talk to the guide, get their recommendations for other places. So I love taking food tours all over the world. Love that. Love that. I'm going to have to give that a shot at some point. So, Jen, a lot of people listening have probably traveled um, with their friends, maybe traveled with their families. Maybe they have trips planned for after COVID with, you know, uh, at the end of uh, college or, you know, the bar trips after law school. But you obviously are a solo female traveler. You, you it seems like, prefer being alone. What are the benefits to traveling by yourself as opposed to traveling with friends? Or, you know, do you travel with friends also? I have. So of the 12 trips in 12 months, that challenge ended up being, I got a little bit crazy towards the end of the year. And, you know, with the ticking timeline, I was like, this is my last chance to have all the fun. Um, so yeah. I ended up taking uh, 20 trips total. So of those 20 trips, 17 were by myself and three were with others. Um, and I enjoy, I do, I do very much enjoy traveling by myself because I live alone, so I'm already accustomed to being alone, right? Like I'm accustomed to being able to use the bathroom whenever I want. So if I come back from a hiking trip, I don't have to worry like, okay, somebody is that person going to use the bathroom first or am I? Like do I have to sit here stinky for a half hour kind of thing? Um, and those are <laughs> minor things or like breakfast. Like, you know, am I – do I want to just grab a quick croissant and keep going? Or does this person want to like sit at the buffet for an hour? And so those are the things where I love traveling by myself because I really have the freedom to explore. And I think there's a difference between like traveling and exploring and traveling for leisure and just to relax and just to sit at a spa or a beach. And, and again, all are legitimate depending on what you're looking for. But for me, I, I have more free reigns to explore when I'm on my own. And I have, I've also found that 
and not to, you know, but I found that favors of locals only go so far. And I found that I'm more likely to have locals approach me, more likely to have them go out of their way to help me, more likely to have them invite me to things when it's just me. Definitely. Um, and then that's something that I've noticed. And I've, I've been very lucky to have really wonderful experiences that I don't think I would have ever had if they would have felt that I already had, you know, a companion or a buddy or, or my own plans already determined. Like I was invited to a Balinese uh, festival where I was the only non-Balinese person in, in attendance. And I went with a local host family that I had there. And there were a bunch of other people that were residing at the residence and they didn't invite any of them. So I really feel that having when you're by yourself, you have the ability to connect with locals in a way that you don't if you have somebody with you because you're talking to that person. You're talking in your native language. You're really like they're your bubble. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with making memories with a loved one. Um, but just understanding that locals are going to be a little more hesitant to, you know, reach out or, or interrupt that bond that you already have established. Very well said. And, and I think also psychologically, there's something so empowering about going to a foreign country by yourself with no security blanket, no safety net. I mean, let's face it, if you have a friend there and and you know you're in a a bar or something or or you know you're you're exploring outside you have no reason to in you know interface with locals to practice your your Spanish or your Chinese all you have to do is, is, as you said with the bubble analogy, is just stay tethered to that person. So just kind of eschewing that and going off on your own, um, being able to navigate the transit system, um, being able to, to find your way around, there's something so empowering. And I think it builds a lot of confidence when you end up coming back home and saying, you know what? I did it. I navigated you know, this city, um, this country all by myself without anyone's help. Absolutely. And it's terrifying. That's not to say that I do all of these things just 100% emboldened, ready to go, you know, with my strut. Um, my first when, when I was in Australia, I remember the first time I was like, I'm going out clubbing, like, I'm going to take myself. I was in my 20s. I don't even I can't yeah. remember the last time I was even near a club at this point. But I don't I don't think anyone was near a club in a long time. But <laughs> Yes, true. Um, but for me, it's just not. I'm, I'm a very boring person now. Um, but before, huh. I was very. I was like, I want to go dancing. I want to go see what this club is like. And I'm not gonna just sit here and wait. To, for somebody like, you know, time is passing. So I'm going to put on my club gear. I remember it was winter in Australia. So I had like my dress and then actually my winter jacket over my dress. Um, <laughs> and I went into the club and it was terrifying to go into the club by yourself to see everybody in their bubbles. Um, so it really takes pushing through that initial, um, you know, that initial hesitation, that initial push to kind of retreat inwards or, or go home and just say, you know, forget about it. But I stayed and I met a lot of people there. I made a lot of friends, like I mentioned, after some time. Um, and I ended up, you know, seeing those friends on other occasions after the club. We would hang out and do other things. So it was not easy. It's never been easy for me to do these things, but it's always worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the friends you make when you travel – it's like a, a sample platter of people from all over the world, especially people who are also traveling like or expats, you know, people from from different backgrounds, different ways of life. It's, it's really interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are wondering, Jen, you know, what are the what are the financial factors here? Because let's face it, you know, in theory, 12 countries in 12 months or 20 countries in 12 months. That sounds incredible. But how you know, how can anyone afford to travel for extensive periods of time? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing I always tell people is to find cheap flights. Uh, my first book was about finding cheap flights. It's called The Affordable Flight Guide. And because I really feel like as long as you can get somewhere for cheap, if you're not spending $2,000 just to get there, then you can find affordable food. You know, there's street food for a dollar everywhere. You can find affordable housing, depending on your needs, from a hostel room to, you know, a private room in a non-assuming two-star hotel um, for really affordable in most places. You can get tours and experiences and free museum admissions and, you know, things like that. You can do Rick Steves walking tours for free. So there's so many free things you can do or cheap things you can do once you get to a destination that the real impediment and what really hikes the cost of a trip is just the plane ticket to get there in the first place um mm -hmm. so i i think that for a lot of people that's the barrier to entry and once you realize that you shouldn't be paying a thousand dollars to go anywhere that's not antarctica um the, it becomes a game changer because you should either be you, there are flight alert programs now. That, I mean, before when I started, there weren't that many, but over the last couple of years, they've blossomed. There's now at least, you know, two dozen of them out there. Um, but my favorite is Scott's Cheap Flights. And this is a subscription-based model where you pay for a year of alerts, like say $50 for the year, and then you get email alerts every single day of different um, fare drops, different mistake prices, things like that, because air airfares still have to be entered by somebody manually. So if they list the price incorrectly and you catch that and you buy that ticket, that's called an error fare, and you may find a really discounted ticket. And so these membership websites, these flight alert programs, they send out these alerts the moment like they have somebody just always on the internet always trying to find these things and they send out alerts every time there's a sale i get at least oh my goodness at least 20 emails a day with different flight prices um nothing over you know 500 round trip all over the world um and so that's scott i like scott's cheap flights because you can stay on his free list indefinitely you don't have to enroll in the paid subscription model right away and there's no free trial program where you're charged after there's none of that um, so that's the first method. If not, let's say you really want to go to a destination that is hard to find deals for, like Fiji, like you're really going to rarely find deals to Fiji or the Maldives, right? Um, you can you can use award travel to get there. So I flew to New Zealand for $38 just based off of points and miles that I acquired off of opening a travel credit card and, you know, spending expenses that I would have spent otherwise and channeling those onto the credit card and then reaping points. Like I got out of the same bills that I had for that month, like a free ticket to New Zealand, essentially. Wow. So is that, is that era flight that you talk about? Is that how you found the $38 flight to New Zealand or was that through Scott's cheap flights? The $38 flight is through award travel. So there's three different methods. The first is the flight alerts, which are the ones that they find error fares and just general sales because all kinds of airlines have sales all the time. So that's the first one is the flight alert programs and that's Scott Cheap Flight. My okay. second method of, of getting cheap flights is, is to do award travel. And that's where you use, it's called, that's what a lot of people call travel hacking. And it's where you use points and miles to redeem for a flight or a hotel, but I would not use it for the hotel. I would use it for the flight. Um, and you, your cost of the trip is paid. You just pay for the taxes and fees on that flight. So I've flown from Hawaii to Miami for $5. I've flown to, wow. you know, Ecuador for $16 off of points and miles. And, and there are a lot of different um, resources to help you with that. But I would say that the best way to get started is to just open a co-branded airline 
credit card with whatever airline you normally fly with and that you know will go to your destination of choice. And then once you reap those initial sign-up bonus miles, usually anywhere from 60,000 to you know, 80, 90,000 miles, then you can use that to redeem those miles for the free award travel. That's that's amazing. I mean, sixteen dollars to Ecuador—that's basically like a like a large beer at a baseball game. Um, that's exactly. that's really cool. And you know, we sp- you, you sort of alluded to to lodging a minute ago. When you travel alone, obviously there are a lot of options, be they hostels or Airbnbs, motels, hotels. What you know? What are your preferences when you're you know when you're by yourself? When you were you know when you did all those trips in that one year. I like to stay, so because I am a solo female traveler, I like to stay in my own room, um, whether it's an Airbnb that I rent out the entire unit or that I have a hotel that I will stay at, Um, but I like for there to be a deadbolt between me and the rest of the world at the end of the night. Um, I also wouldn't be in a hostel. I like air conditioning, and a lot of people around the world do not use air conditioning in the same way that Americans do. And so, um, you know, I would have issues with the temperature or things like that in a room, in a shared room. So I don't share rooms with people. Um, and so <laughs> it, I just don't, and, and I'm, I'm sure other people do and that's great, but I, it's, it's already, I, I know myself and I need that sanctuary at the end of the night where I can just go, I can relax. I can, you know, where would I want to put the temperature, how I want to put it, you know, <laughs> And have it be completely quiet when it's time to go to sleep. Like that's really important to me. Um, and, and I can tell you, I can tell you as someone that has done a shared room, I, I've stayed in hostels with 16 people. So it's like, I mean, I mean, you've seen like the layout, it's like four people on a bunk or something. And it's, it's brutal. I mean, literally 24 hours a day, Jen, there's someone up, there's someone with the light on, someone's brushing their teeth. So it's, it's impossible to sleep, but they make it, you know, those rooms are like, Ten, fifteen dollars a night, no matter where you are. So it's it's hard to say no. Yeah, I feel like I could pay twenty and get a dingy room, and then it's still my own dingy room. Like you'll catch me at like a Motel Six before you catch me at a at a hostel. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's me because of that. I'm a very light sleeper. I can't sleep if it's hot, you know, things like that. And so I know that, and I know that if I don't get sleep. And I'm already far from home, you know, and I'm already jet lagged. I'm just going to be cranky. I won't be able to enjoy the experience. So I'm not going to do that to myself. Um, and I think it's it's knowing yourself and, and what is important to you uh, and, and making, uh, making sure you pay attention to that. So for me, I do try to find affordable places. I will look at all options. I'll look at hotels. I'll look at short-term rental properties because no one app is better than the other. And Airbnb often has a lot of hidden fees or things like that. So it, it does add up to sometimes be more than a hotel would. Um, but I don't mind being a little off center, you know, or a little far away to get an, a nice place where it's all to myself. I look at the reviews more than the star rating. So I don't mm. really care if it has, you know, a, a hot tub on every room, like that means nothing to me. But if everybody has been very satisfied with their stay, if they felt safe, if customer service was good, you know, that's 10 times more important to me than a five star hotel rating. Oh yeah. No, I, it, it, I mean, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. It's like, you don't necessarily need, need all the extra amenities, but you do want to have that, that shared knowledge base of like, you know, is this worth the fee? And I will say really quickly, just, just on the, on the, the hostels, the only thing is, um, is what I like about the hostel is if you're a solo tra- traveler, you do get that sense of community where the hostel, you talked about food tours earlier, the hostel will organize like walking tours of a city. They'll do food tours. They'll do wine tours. I've had trivia nights. Um, we've had, you know, boat cruises. They do pub crawls. So 
I, you know, I know you mentioned hotels and motels are some, you know, sometimes more advantageous, but just, I, I do think that that element of a hostel is, is sort of worth the money. 100%. And I have a lot of female, solo female traveler friends that are, maybe they grew up in big families or maybe they're, you know, are used to living with roommates. And, and so they don't, they're not as light of sleepers and they can be in those settings and they do just fine. And they always, you know, sing the praises for the activities I've gone myself. So I've stayed in hostels in a private room. I've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also another alternative that you can do if you don't want to be sharing a bunk, but you still want to be there in that setting. Um, and I've gone to hostels before because sometimes they'll have really cool things like different bars or different, you know, just different uh, attractions in and of the hostel itself, especially some of these really cool newer ones that are popping up. So I'll sometimes go just to hang out there and meet people, even if I'm not staying there. And a lot of this also um, sort of depends on your age and, and, you know, what you're looking for, your interests. Because, you know, if you're you, you mentioned how you, you were into clubbing when you were in, in the Australian scene, but maybe not so much now. If you're someone who likes to, to go out, it might make sense to, to do a pub crawl kind of thing in, in Barcelona or, you know, in, in Buenos Aires, wherever you are. But if you're someone who likes their peace and quiet, I don't know if you're going to be as drawn to the environment of a hostel um, as Jen's saying. I want to I want to pick your brain a little bit because you're a goldmine of information, having seen a lot of the world just about, you know, countries that you visited and you know what you liked, what you didn't like. So. So how many countries in general have you seen in your lifetime? I have lost. I've stopped counting. I think I was somewhere around 35 last time I checked. Okay, 35. That's I mean, that's more than more than anyone I know. And uh, I want to ask you. What, if you had to say, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you had to say, what's the most underrated country that you've seen? What, what's a country that doesn't get a lot of love, but you tell all your friends, oh my God, you have to check out this country? Actually, I actually haven't been asked that before. I'm always asked what my favorite country is or my favorite place, and I have my answers to that. But this one is a little bit of a harder question. Because Under- everyone can everyone can say like their you know their favorite country is is you know whatever uh, uh, France or England or Germany but like it's the country that that people don't talk about but it really surprised you you know like the underrated country. I think Ecuador does a good job of that because it's couched in between two bigger tourist countries, Colombia and Peru, and Peru has Machu Picchu, and Colombia has, you know, all of the lore, the coffee, and and all of that, Um, but Ecuador actually tries to stay under the radar, and I heard about it the first time when I was in Peru, actually, I was on my way to Machu Picchu, and there were Ecuadorians on the train sitting across from me, so naturally, we talked, because I was by myself, and they were, they kept telling me, like, every time I mentioned all the cool things I had seen in Peru, and they were like, yeah, we have that in Ecuador, but better. (laughs) (laughs) everything I said they had so much pride and I was like wow like they really love Ecuador and when I had the chance to go back I went back with the purpose of going to the swing at the edge of the world I'd seen that I wanted to go there to this place in Ecuador and take that random picture swinging off the edge of the world um, which I did and then I threw up afterwards so that was interesting (laughs) 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 but um, I realized that it is a little bit of an underrated country in that sense because they purposely try to they just don't emphasize tourism in the same way that their neighbors do and I think it's because they're scared that maybe tourism will take away from the wonder of what makes it so unique and so special you know Quito is one of the um, it has the center of the of the world there so it's one of the few places where you can straddle the equator line and be in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere of the world all at once Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it's really cool and they have because of that and their proximity to the sun and everything and then the, you know the amount of sunshine they have they have plants there that don't grow anywhere else in the world like really rare medicinal plants um, and some of the people that have lived for the longest like Guinness Book of World Record ages people have been from Ecuador um, because of these magical mystical plants you know <laughs> wow <laughs> we gotta we gotta cut this up and send it to the Ecuadorian uh, Board of Tourism because you just you just plugged the hell out of that country um, I think I might have to look up this swing um. yes and it's you know a, um, they use the dollar system so you don't have to even exchange the currency when you go there Mm. A lot of people don't, I, don't know that. That's a big selling point. So, so, so before I, I was going to ask you a question about that, but, but before I ask that, what, what about the inverse, um, Jan? What about the country that everyone says you know you you should check this out? But you were you were sort of underwhelmed. The most overrated country you've been to. I and maybe it's because I didn't go at the right time. Um, but I feel like. I don't want to rag on any of these countries. Yeah, I, no, it's not, it's not. You know, it's not ragging. You you obviously don't have to answer. Um, but it is it is it is interesting. What about the you know the, the one where your expectations for the country didn't line up? The biggest disappointment, however you want to you know how you look at it. I really wish that I had gone to Iceland at a time maybe when they had more. Um, like midnight sun activities, more daylight, things like that. Because when I went, it was very rainy. So it was tough for me and very windy and very cold. So it was tough for me to really enjoy what I felt were beautiful natural attractions. But like, for instance, I was out on uh, horseback riding these gorgeous uh, Icelandic horses that are unlike any other horses in the world. You know, you they're just they're purebred. You cannot take a horse out of Iceland and still have it be called like, an Icelandic horse. Like they are very strict regulations for what they look like. And they're basically the Fabios of horses, right? Like they have these gorgeous manes and they're just the most beautiful horses you'll ever see in your life. And I love horses. And so <laughs> I went back riding there. And it was, it was, it was pouring. So we went in the rain, but I mean, I'm soaked in the pictures. The horses, Fabio mane is soaked in the pictures. And I wish I could go back when, you know, the mane is dry and blowing in the air and things like that. And I could really get a good view of the landscape versus kind of hiding my eyes underneath the, the brim of my hat or whatever the case may be. Um, so that I didn't get wet. So I wish I would have gone at a different time because I feel I didn't really get to see Iceland in its full splendor. Okay, that's fair. So, okay, so definitely if you're thinking about going to Iceland, make sure you go on the right time of year. And a minute ago, you talked about Ecuador and you said that the currency was one to one, or, you know, is the same as the dollar. Where, where, you know, what country have you been to where your dollar, your American dollar has gone the farthest, where you get the most value for your money? Cambodia. Cambodia, uh, that was a quick, quick answer. Yeah, and, and Bali was close too. I think Southeast Asia in general, but Cambodia, I just remember, was like insanely cheap. Like, you know, you're you're saying the hostels cost that much. Like, I had my own private room with towels folded into swans for $9 a night. Like flowers left for me everywhere, fresh cut every day, you know, my own private concierge, like all of that. And it was like $9. I spent a day at a, at a pool at one of the fanciest resorts in the city, um, you know, with people bringing me all kinds of cut up fruit and things like that. That was like $5 to get in. <laughs> so <I> was, <laughs> Wow. 
It was insane how affordable Cambodia was. Uh, so it's I, really hard, tough to forget. <laughs> I think pe people in general, like like I, I haven't ventured out to uh, to Southeast Asia, but I or East Asia. I, I got to get out there because you know if you if you spend all of your time traveling in Europe, you know we talked about tourist traps earlier. You're going to be spending you know fifteen dollars for for a cocktail or you know thirty dollars for a meal, whereas you could have that same experience for a fraction of the of the price in a in a place like Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos. Oh, yeah. My Angkor Wat tour, I, I paid. I splurged. I got a private guide. I think I paid him. I think I really did splurge on this one. I think I paid like 100 bucks, which is essentially like a million bucks in Cambodia. And I had a private Lincoln Navigator show up with my like cooled ice towels ready for me after every single temple. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that I to wipe my brow for me like it was insane <laughs> that's amazing um ho hopefully you'll have an answer for this next one what about the best food um i eat delicious food everywhere i go so it's it's i will find the delicious food everywhere i think that's one of the main impetus for me to go places um i think it's hard to compete with italy because Italy just has really fresh ingredients, really wonderful, um, hearty flavors. And I think Greece is also really good for food because they they just use the, the Mediterranean diet is just lovely, you know, fresh fish and, and, you know, olives. And so Greece, Spain, Italy, that entire little corner of is my is my uh, kryptonite. Are you are you intentionally representing every continent in your answers? Because we got South America, we got Europe, and we got Asia here. I haven't talked about New Zealand yet. I was hoping that that would be one of the uh, <laughs> underrated ones, but then I figured a lot of people probably think New Zealand is amazing, so that wouldn't qualify for that answer. <laughs> um, I, I would ask you about worst food, but I have a feeling that that you you know you're of the opinion that you can find something delicious in every country. I am. I am, and I think. Um, it's it, again, I think a food tour really helps to orient you. You're not going to like everything everywhere, but there, I think you should try the specialty wherever you're going. So there is something to be said. So people there, there's in tourism, we talk about how people, when they're somewhere unfamiliar, try to find the familiar, right? Which is why when people go far away, they flock to the hard rock cafe because it gives them a sense of comfort to feel like they have something that they know. Um, and that's fine. But I think, Part of the real secret is finding what the local what the locals eat. And so for me, like for instance, when I was practicing law, I would get sent to trials all over random places in the US. And I remember like, the first time I went to Mobile, Alabama, and I was like, what am I gonna do in Mobile, Alabama? Like I have no idea how I'm gonna spend my time here after this case is done. And I was like, I'm on I'm gonna go on the hunt to find whatever it is that they make here that is delicious. And I went and I did some research. I talked to some people and it was like a pulled pork sandwich that they, that they wanted me to try. And so I went and I tried that pulled pork and it was amazing. Um, and so I think if you go somewhere and you really try whatever the specialty is, since it is their specialty, it's going to be hard to have that be bad, you know, um, mm. because they, they do it so well. And I think it's always at least worth trying. Um, I also really like cooking classes when I'm abroad because I think that this helps you tailor your flavors, really kind of see what it is that goes into a dish. Um, so when I was in Thailand, I was able to do, um, like that's my first time that I made my own tum yum soup. And I was able to customize how much spice I put into that, which maybe is a deterrent for some people who don't like spicy food. Um, so that's another way that you can kind of try local dishes, but have it customized to your flavor.
Okay, so you just said that um, the key is asking for the local specialty. So is that approaching someone who lives in the community? Is that looking online? Is that talking to the restaurant, you know, people, the restaurant specifically? How do you navigate that? I think you should start first by doing your general Google research when you're noting what there is to see and do in that country. If there is a notable dish, somebody will have written about it because there's a lot of travel writers out there covering content. Um, so knowing what kind of things are popular and then doing your preliminary search online to see if there's any one place, go to forums, go to Facebook groups, things like that, to see if there's anything where, where somebody recommends that you have to go to try, or if there's any place that's like, you know, in Key West, there's a place that's known as the home of the Sloppy Joes. In Puerto Rico, there's a place that claims to be the home of the Pina Coladas. So you should know if there's any kind of place that claims that particular dish. But beyond that, once you get to the actual location, your destination, you should always confirm where it is that you want to go with locals, whether that's the concierge, the person at the front desk, a random person that you meet, you know, while traveling, some your guide on a, on a walking tour, ask them, hey, I saw that this is the best place to go for this dish. Is that true? Got you. Got you. Okay. So really relying on people who, who know, because, because a lot of people just don't ask. Uh, so I think, I think that's, that's a great suggestion. So, uh, before we, you know, close out our conversation here, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about safety a little bit more, because as you said, you know, you're traveling alone, uh, as a, a female traveler, a lot of, you know, a lot of listeners are, um, are young, uh, you know, female and what, obviously there's, there's a set of challenges that, traveling alone as a young woman presents, what are your sort of general tips for, for safety when you're in a new country and you are by yourself? So researching, that will always make you feel better if you know you know where you're going, what time to expect things to happen, generally what your day is going to have. I do not recommend kind of looking lost. I would never, do not walk around with your phone out trying to deal with Google Maps while you're actively walking. Um, that's just asking for your phone to get stolen and it targets you as yeah. a tourist. Um, so you don't want to signal. That's why I think it's so important to know where you're going and walk with confidence because then you're not signaling to people that you're a lost, vulnerable tourist. Um, so that's very important. Um, I would always make sure that you have sent somebody your itinerary, what, where you're going to be staying, you know, what time you expect to be back, just general things like that. Have a buddy, have somebody who expects to hear from you or have a regular check-in so that if you miss that check-in, they can at least be on alert. They can, you know, try to contact you, reach out to your hotel, things like that. It just feels better when you know that somebody is waiting to hear from you, especially when you're alone. Um, for me, that person is my mom. And so for you, it could be anybody, a sister, a friend, whatever the case may be. Um, I also recommend uh, different things. So making sure that you, if, if you're higher up in, in a in a hotel, you have less chances of, you know, people coming in from the windows or things like that. If you're closer to an elevator, you don't have to walk down a full, you know, length corridor. So sometimes uh, if they have some, some hotels will have handicap rooms that they have unsold and they'll try to give you. And sometimes that's helpful because it's usually really close to the elevator. So you don't have to walk in heels, you know, and alert a gabillion people down that corridor that you're walking by yourself, you know, to your hotel room. So these are just little things to consider. Um, and it's just always being aware, always being safe, um, and just always, I think if, if you walk with purpose, if you don't look lost, if you have an idea of where you're going, and if worst case scenario, you do get lost and everything, you know, just happens, because that's happened to me as well. I've gotten lost before, I've lost my phone before, I've lost my keys before, I've lost my wallet twice. 
Um, and so mm. there, there will be disaster situations. Um, and I think at that time, it's just kind of not panicking, but taking action, right? And, and trying to find something like there's always a solution and i think all you can do is, is move forward and act because if people who panic people who sit people who cry people who just get paralyzed like that's not good and at the risk of sounding too cliched i i agree with everything you're saying and and to to add to that just make educated decisions because you know usually people i mean obviously you know th things happen everywhere and and it's it's not always avoidable but Sometimes people will, will get drunk or will experiment with drugs in a place where they don't know their surroundings. And I definitely think that, um, you know, to, to Jen's point about, you know, doing research and having someone know your location, just don't take unnecessary risks on top of that is, is, is all I would say. Yes. And I would be careful with that because I did take like half Xanax once on the airplane and that's what caused me to lose my wallet because those things knock you out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Jen, what, uh, what country is next on your list? What haven't you seen but, but you're, you're planning to or you want to? Um, I would love to go to Turkey. I've been meaning to go for the longest time. I'd love to go to Cappadocia, uh, Istanbul. It's, to me, a very dynamic city. I have friends in the area, so I'd love to visit there. I also actually have a, a ticket I already bought that I don't know if it's going to work out. It's over New Year, so I'm just waiting to see how everything plans, pans out. Um, but it's to Egypt, to Cairo, because I want to see the last of the ancient world wonders. Mm. Oh, so did, did you say the last of the what? So is that the only one you haven't seen? I think it's the only one remaining of the ancient world wonders. Oh, oh, got you. Got. Oh, I thought you meant the, 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 like the eight w wonders of the world. Uh, no, those I'm still making uh, my way through, but the pyramids of Giza, the other ones have all been like the road statue and the gardens of Babylon and all of that, or Avalon. Um, so I, this is the only one that remains from the ancient, like thousands of years ago is the, is the pyramids of Giza. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I really hope you, uh, I really hope you get there. I think, I think you're going to put a dent on that, on that list. I mean, there's what, like 190, 95 countries. A lot of people I know, I mentioned at the beginning, my dad has only ever been to America. I have friends who have only ever been to America. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, co-signed the ideology of like, step outside your comfort zone, you know, see, you know, it's a big world out there. Try to see as much as possible while you still can. Absolutely. And, and for me, um, I think there was initially that kind of pressure to count countries as a blogger. But then I found myself like I know when I had that, I, there was a chance where I had to go back to Italy for Cinque Terre to visit Cinque Terre. And I had already been to go to Florence and Milan. And I thought, like, do I want to go back to Italy? Should I go <laughs> to a different country? And I remember just thinking that, like, this is so dumb. Why would I skip on the opportunity to go visit a place I really enjoy and see a different part of it just because I feel pressure to add to my country count? So I will frequently go back to countries that I really enjoy. And I think that the important thing is just making sure that you put yourself out there and, and try to see something different, even if that is in your own, you know, America, North America in and of itself. The U.S. and Canada have so many cool things to see. Um, you know, the white sands in New Mexico, the ice caves, it, the northern lights, like there's so many cool things to see even just within the U.S. Definitely. I actually I actually have the same um, experience with visiting baseball stadiums. I'm, I'm a diehard baseball fan. I'm trying to, to make my way through all 30. And if you know, I've already been to Wrigley. And if I have a friend in Chicago who's like, you know, you want to come to Wrigley for a game, I think I've already been there. But you're right. Rather than just counting the stadiums or counting the countries, just open yourself up to the best possible experiences, regardless of whether or not they check something off, you know, your list. Exactly.
So this has been a, a really fantastic conversation. To all those listening, you can purchase Jen Ruiz's book, The Affordable Flight Guide, How to Find Cheap Airline Tickets and See the World on a Budget on Amazon. And you can also check out Jen's website, jenonajetplane.com. I'm sure my listeners also want to know where they can go to connect with you and learn more about you and, and your, your travel excursions. Absolutely. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and now TikTok, all under the handle Jen on a Jet Plane. Awesome. Okay. Jen, Jen on a Jet Plane on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but if I check it out, I will, I will come find you. Great. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining me, Jen. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Ricky. So that was my conversation with Jen Ruiz. You know, and, and the whole thing got me thinking, um, especially towards the end when we were going through all of the countries in the world. I mean, God, it's it's such an expansive world out there, you know, close to 200 different countries. And how many of us stay in our, you know, bubbles, as, as Jen said, you know, living the same automatic routine, going down the steps at night, knowing what step comes next. And I don't know, I, you know, got me eager to explore a little more than I already have. I mean... You know, just to give you guys some perspective, I have a world map up here. I was curious to see how many countries I visited myself. So Canada and U.S., that's two. Um, I've been <clears throat> I've been in most of Europe. So that's Spain, Portugal, France, Italy, that's six. Amsterdam, that's seven. Hungary, that's eight. Am I missing anything in Europe? Uh, oh, Monaco. That's technically a country. <laughs> Nine. Um, was I in Belgium? I don't think so. Uh, and then I was in Israel. That's ten. Yeah, I think I've been to like like ten countries. Um, but I don't know. Like like most of my travels have been confined to North America, the Americas, and Europe. And so I do want to take uh, the opportunity to explore. I mean, Jen certainly sold me on. Uh, on Ecuador, but I've always wanted to go to Central America, specifically to Costa Rica, because they have uh, an incredible Scarlet Macaw Conservatory where you get to just walk around in like a, a biosphere or an aviary and, you know, fly with <laughs> the birds are flying over your head. So I want to check that out in Costa Rica. And then um, I, 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 for a long time, wanted to go to, to Argentina because at the bottom of Argentina, you there is uh, U- Uishia which is, uh, I think it's a city, and it's the southernmost tip of um, the continental uh, Americas. It's nicknamed the end of the world, and you can actually take a boat from there to, um, to Antarctica, uh, take cruises and tours to uh, Penguin Island or something. Anyway, so I do want to see Costa Rica and Argentina, and then, um, and then in East Asia, certainly... Uh, or rather in Southeast Asia, certainly, you know, she was uh, talking about Cambodia would be really beautiful. um, And, you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Uh, So potentially checking out, um, I've heard amazing things about uh, Singapore and Myanmar. um, And I've actually never been to uh, East Asia. I've never been to um, Japan or uh, South Korea or, or China. So I have a lot of travels ahead of me. And yeah, I, I think that Jen made a great case for, uh, for, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone and, and traveling alone as opposed to with friends and exploring some of the resources that she mentioned to fly on a budget. 
I think it's it's definitely worth doing, uh, especially if you haven't done it before. And you, now's the chance if you're listening, if you're you know young or um, you know you don't have any dependents, or you know maybe you have a family and you're looking to to take take a vacation. You got to ask yourself, you know, would future you, would future Tom, would future Jane look back and say, man, I, I wish I I wish I I traveled to the Middle East, or I wish I traveled to North Africa uh, when I was younger, when I had the opportunity, because life is short. And I talked about this a lot on the episode I did, episode 20 on traveling, but I just think that until you've had the opportunity to meet people from around the world and see all the different cultures and immerse yourself in the way of life, I don't think you have the fullest understanding of your own environment or of your own way of living um so and by the way if, if, if all this conversation on travel is interesting to you yeah definitely go back and listen to the episode i did on international travel it was just days following my um trip to france and i was very introspective about this entire topic it's it's been uh i haven't you know traveled internationally since then but definitely will keep you guys apprised if i uh plan another another trip um to uh, central south america or to um, East Asia. So because I, I record these episodes so far in advance, uh, there are a couple different episodes coming down the pike, um, neither of which I can preview at this time because I'm not sure which one <laughs> sequentially comes next. Um, but trust me when I say a lot of exciting episodes on continuing the themes of self-improvement, um, health, and the life sciences, and technology and the internet. Um, those are going to be coming up as well as another bonus episode very soon on Nervous Habits. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been another episode of Nervous Habits Podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter, Nervous Habits underscore. Search for full episodes and clips on YouTube, Nervous Habits Podcast, and write into the pod with questions, concerns, feedback at nervousheavenspodcast at gmail.com, nervousheavenspodcast at gmail.com. That one goes twice. And remember, when you're traveling abroad, resist the urge to fall back into the familiar, the hard rock cafes, the McDonald's, and just go wherever your senses take you. Take care and stay nervous. Thank you.